Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. I, I know that we're all thinking about Ukraine and all that, but I really did appreciate the guest appearance by Vladimir uh, <laughs> like in the middle of the announcements, uh, one of Clark's our alter egos. I, I think you really need to do the entire announcements as Vlad one time, uh, just because <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be so good. Uh, you guys are all looking, how insensitive. Um, I think it's funny. <laughs> Well, good. Hey, we are, we're going to three services as a church, so that's uh, super exciting, um, and I, I would love to invite you to be a part of that um, by not just uh, attending church. I would encourage you to get on the team, help out. Uh, as you can imagine, that puts more of a, a, a load and more of a pressure on a lot of the areas of ministry, and we would love for you to, to jump in, roll up your sleeves, get involved. Uh, a lot of hands make light work, and... Uh, yeah, so that'd be fantastic. <clears throat> awesome. Well, we're in the middle of a collection of messages out of the book of John, and so we have cleverly called it John. And, <laughs> and uh, I love the book of John, and here's why I like the book of John. So in the New Testament, there are four books that are called the Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, these books are not about who they're named after. They're written by the people that they're named after. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic gospels. They tell the synopsis or the, the big story of the life of Jesus. So they sort of begin at the beginning of his life and go through the end of his life. They tell the, the arching story of Jesus' life. But John is very different. John is not giving us a synopsis of Jesus' life. What John is doing is he is actually, uh, he has an agenda. He has uh, a direction he's aimed. And he tells us what it is. His agenda is this. He says, I write these things so that you would believe. In, in fact, he says it like this. He says, if I was to write everything about Jesus, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain everything I have to say about Jesus. Instead, I'm going to write certain things about Jesus so that I can helpfully get you one step closer to believing that Jesus is God. That's, that's John's agenda. I, I love somebody when I know what their agenda is, don't you? It's the weirdest thing when you know somebody wants something from you. You, you know they have an agenda, but you just don't know what it is. <laughs> they're, they're, always, they're always trying to get an angle, and you're just like, just tell me what you want. Well, John wants you to believe. That's, that's his goal, and uh, so we're going through what are called the, the seven signs of Jesus in John. So John is very different than the other Gospels. He, 
does not include any of the parables that Jesus taught in. When Jesus would teach, Jesus would teach by telling stories, and John doesn't include any of these stories. What John includes are different things. He includes uh, the miracles of Jesus, but he doesn't call them miracles, and he includes um, some sayings of Jesus, some theological sayings of Jesus. We call them the I am statements, but he, he doesn't include stories. It seems, it seems very different, but the reason is John has a goal. He has a, has a direction he's headed. And so today we're, we're going into what's called the fourth sign in the book of John. And, and John calls them signs. Uh, what he's talking about is what we would call a miracle. You know, like you can't read the New Testament stories of Jesus without seeing miracles, right? Well, Jesus performed miracles all the time. But John does not call them miracles. John calls them signs. There's only one place in the book of John that he uses the word miracle, and it's actually Jesus condemning people, saying, you're looking for miracles. The difference is this. When we talk about miracles, we're talking about, ooh, ah. Like, that's what we're talking about. Wow, I'm amazed. Like, it's a miracle, right? Like, it's, it's amazing. John is saying, the goal of Jesus doing works of wonder is not to impress us. It's not to just like uh, to entertain us. But the goal, the purpose of Jesus accomplishing things, it's a sign. It points towards Jesus. And this is really a, a, a great distinction that I think we should all have in our life. We don't need to write off the, the wonders of God. They are real. God, we still serve a God who's in the miracle-working business. I want you to know that. We still serve a prayer-answering God. But we don't chase the miracles. We allow the answered prayers to be signposts pointing towards the one who answers prayer. So that's what John is doing. And, and today we're in the fourth sign of Jesus. And this is the first time that he does one of his signs in front of a lot of people. Before this point, it's always uh, two or three people here. Over here, nobody knows what's going on. He's keeping it very secluded. Nobody knows what Jesus is doing. This is the first time when he does a miracle, and there are thousands of people that don't just observe it, but they experience it. Uh, this this sign of Jesus really brings me to a place of examining myself. Does anybody else ever feel inadequate sometimes? I think for me, I feel like there are, there are times in my life when I feel like I really get a good grasp on how to do a certain area of my life well. I finally figure out how to be like a really good husband and then I feel like maybe I'm dropping the pastor ball. Or I feel like I really get the pastor ball going well, and it feels like things are healthy and moving forward. And then I, I realize, like, I'm really dropping the ball as a parent. Like, I don't know if anybody else ever experiences that, but it just, I feel like a lot of times I don't have enough. I just don't have enough, like emotional capacity, mental capacity, time. Anybody ever feel like you just don't have enough time or, or enough money to be able to accomplish all the things you want to be able to do for your family? Or, uh, I know that that's where I get a lot of the times. And I know that when God calls us forward in his life and in his world, 
He'll call us towards a thing or call us towards a ministry or, or maybe speak some vision into your world that, that encourages you to move forward into the things of God. And every single time he does that, it feels as though this, this monster of inadequacies just stands up, at least in my life. Like I'm definitely not God's first choice for whatever he's doing right now. Or maybe for you, you, you feel like God has really called you to, to do something uh, for his kingdom and, and in the kingdom of God. But you feel like because you've got a divorce in, in your history that it was a messy divorce. And because of that, it, it disqualifies you for the things of God. Or, or perhaps for you, you feel like because you're still struggling through the effects of an addiction that's been in your life for years that, that it prevents you from accomplishing accomplishing the will of God in your life. Like we, we just really, we write ourselves off as though we don't have enough to do what God is calling us to do, don't we? I'm still struggling with anger, so God must not be able to work through me, still dealing with insecurity, so God needs to choose somebody else. This is, this is how Moses was in the Old Testament. God calls Moses and and when God calls Moses, Moses' first response is, God, you're calling someone to be a public speaker? That's not me, because I stutter. He stutters. When God calls this guy the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he calls him an apostle out of due season. He calls him into the kingdom of God. He becomes the most prolific writer in the New Testament. And yet whenever he writes with his own hands, he, he's apologizing for how bad his penmanship is. Yeah, he's, he's like, excuse the big words. You know it's me because somebody's drawing like they're in kindergarten here. Like, that's what he says. Because God will often call us to areas that we feel inadequate in. He calls Esther to be a champion for virtue and restoration in, in the kingdom. And Esther was a woman whose life had been anything but virtuous. And we like to say, oh, you're here for such a time as this. And, and that's a quote from Esther, a woman who, against her own will, was put into the, the worst version of Bachelorette that has ever existed. Where, where like, it's, it's a terrible story. And yet, even in that situation, God uses her. I just want to say, God is less concerned with your ability and he's a lot more concerned with your availability. He's, he's less concerned with what you're able to do. And he's more concerned with what you're willing to do. This is how the fourth sign in John goes. It's in John chapter 6. And it says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is called the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Come on. Isn't it amazing? When people see God at work, we're just attracted to it. There's, there's something attractive about God moving, God interacting with people. Don't ever shy away from sharing the story of what Jesus is doing in your life. What draws people to church is not fancy music and pretty lights and, and a good marketing strategy. What draws people to church is when they recognize that God is at work, like marriages are being restored, sick people are being healed. Like when we see that stuff, there's just something inside of us that says, I just got to get near Jesus. That's what's going on. The people are, 
They're, they're running towards Jesus. They're, they're following Jesus. It's, it's quite interesting. They're, it says that he gets in a boat and he travels across the sea. And this crowd begins following him, which doesn't make sense. How is he going across the water? Is it a crowd of people walking on water? Like, what's going on here? Verse 3, and Jesus went up onto a mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews, or the feast of the Jews was at hand. Well, this crowd isn't following Jesus across the water. Now Jesus walking on water is about to happen. But that's not what's going on. What's going on is the lake that they're at, uh, it lends itself to never being able to get a moment of rest if your name is Jesus. Here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's called uh, sea of, uh, the, the, the Sea of Tiberias. It's called Lake Gennesaret. It's really a freshwater lake. It's not a sea. Um, but this is at the very north end of the lake looking down. It's 17 miles north to south and about six miles across. So it's, it's really not a whole lot bigger than about twice the size of Lake Lowell. Not a big lake. And you can see that you, even east to west, you can see the shore on both sides. Like you can, you can see it. Now go to the next picture. So this is, uh, again, this is up on the north side looking east, and you can see that there's not a lot of trees. It's very grassy, rolling hills. Um, what that means is if, if there's these small villages all around this northern coast of this, this bay, they can see a boat crossing the river. Like they, they can see a boat crossing the sea. And so like later in this exact same story, Jesus goes on a mountain to pray. The disciples go into the water. We'll talk about this next week. They go into the water. A storm begins to blow. And, and they, they're like, we're going to die. There's a storm. And Jesus comes walking on the water. Jesus, from the side of any mountain in the lake area, could see the storm and could see the boat in the water. So these people are seeing Jesus in a sailboat crossing the lake, and they're able to follow along. Next picture. Uh, so this is just, uh, again, this is above Capernaum, kind of looking down the, the long hill there. And they're able to see him, and the crowds of people are, are gathering because the stories of Jesus doing miracles and works in, in their lives are, are they're just expanding. And so people are chasing Jesus. And it says this, that lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He, he asks Philip an accounting question. He's, he's saying, Philip, what's the budget look like? We've got 5,000 people. They've been running around the lake as we've been crossing the lake. And now that they've gotten here, they're hungry and they're exhausted. Do we have any money in the budget to cover meals and entertainment? That's what he's asking. But what's so amazing about this, this story of Jesus' life is this is the only story of Jesus' life other than the crucifixion that is in all four Gospels. Everything else is in one or two or three. This story is in all four Gospels. This was a central story to the early church. This was an important story to the life of what it means to be a believer. And it begins with Jesus looking at the people coming to him. And he says, hey, do we have enough resources to handle this, this situation? 
Do we have what it takes? And he says this to test the disciples, for he himself knew what he would do. I want you to know that whenever Jesus asks a question, he's, he's not actually asking a question. Right? When the, when the answer asks a question, he's really giving you an answer. He, he knew what he was going to do. And I want you to know the same thing goes in your life. Whatever that situation is that you feel inadequate in, that, that area of your life where you feel like, I don't have what it takes to be a good father. I don't have what it takes to be a good uh, husband. I don't have what it takes to be the kind of uh, woman. I don't have what it takes to be a, a, a single mother. Wh whatever it is in your life that you feel like, I don't have enough in the budget for it, Jesus has an answer. Let me say it like this, whatever the situation is that you think is beyond your ability to, to manage, Jesus already has a solution in mind. And so he says this to test them because he knew what he was going to do, and, and Philip answers him. Remember, Jesus says, what does the budget look like? And Philip's answer is this, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little bit. Philip doesn't answer Jesus' question. Jesus wants to know what's the budget look like. Philip's answer is, we would have to go to work for eight months. This is eight months equivalent. We'd have to go to work for eight months, and we still would not make enough money to feed everybody here. He's not answering Jesus' question. He's presenting a new question. Jesus was asking what's in the budget. His answer is what's absolutely not in the budget. He's saying we don't have enough, and that's what we do, isn't it? We'll sense God leading us in a direction, and our first response is why it cannot work. Our first response is why we don't have the time, the resources, the emotional capacity, the, the people, the influence, whatever it might be. The first, first thing is, no, we, we don't have enough. Like we're getting ready to go to three services and, and the first, first thing is like, oh, we don't have enough to, to do what we, what we feel like God is calling us to do. Like it instantly, the moment it feels like God calls us to more, it's in those moments when the insecurities pop up. God's, God's calling you to be a more holy woman and Im immediately the insecurity of, of all, all the, the lack is there. God is calling you to be a man of virtue. And the, the moment he does that, all the insecurities rise up. I experience this all the time. For me, what it looks like is I, I I'll preach my guts out and, and I just tell God, like, God, what every ounce of my life and any story, any vulnerability, anything you can use in my life to somehow benefit someone else, you can use it. But then what happens is I'll get on social media, I'll get on like Instagram later in the week, and I see how amazing every other pastor is. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like they're all amazing and they're brilliant and they have like, this, like seems like infinite resources to be able to do everything that's on their heart. And like there's this thing inside of me that begins comparing myself to people I've never met in my life. And does anybody else ever do this? Am I the only, yeah. And it's this, it's this inadequacy thing that comes up inside of us every time God calls us to move forward in our lives. He says we don't have 
enough. We don't have what it would take to really make a difference with all these people. Jesus asks this question to draw attention to the need, and all they hear is the lack of resources. He presents a question so that we see the need, but what we do is we see a lack. There's a difference between the need and the lack. Like, like for instance, I said, we're going to go to three services, and, and I got people that are in here, and you're thinking, oh, that's fantastic, but where are all the Sunday school teachers going to come from? Exactly. The question presents the need, not the lack. Like, like we're going to go to three services. Well, where, where are all the people? That, you, you don't expect the same people to make coffee all three services, do you? No, we don't. What we expect is the body of Christ to be activated and people to care more about other people than themselves. And so every time he shows us the question, the question isn't to show us the lack. It's to say, hey, there's a need. There's people here that, that need something from Jesus. And, and I can just imagine these disciples, <laughs> they're probably quite frustrated because there's 5,000 people. The Bible says 5,000 men. And the reason it makes that distinction is because culturally they, they didn't count women and they didn't count children. I get it. I get it. Not okay. I get it. All right? But that's the culture. So it's a lot more than 5,000 people. could be... Upwards of 15,000 people, lots of people. And Jesus tells the disciples, now feed them. He doesn't tell them, I'm going to do an amazing party trick. Get ready. He doesn't do that. He says, feed them. Go, go find enough food. And so the disciples begin to look for the food. They begin to look for a solution to the problem because Jesus has told them, it's your responsibility now to feed these people. I just imagine if, if I was one of the disciples, I would have been a Peter or somebody, I would have been like, hey, <laughs> I would have gone, I would have had a bad attitude, you know. I'm like, hey, anybody, anybody here got enough food for 5,000 people? <laughs> Jesus wants to feed 5,000 people. Anybody got $5,000? You, you got, you got 5,000? Like, because we see the big problem, right? We don't ever see how... Small and together, we can accomplish huge things. What we think is, he wants to feed 5,000 people. That must be all on my shoulders. I got to come up with enough for 5,000 knots. He wants to collectively accomplish something powerful and amazing. So he goes around looking for 5,000 people worth of food. And it says this in verse 8 that, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? And I love this because this is the, the only record of this story where it mentions that it was a boy. In Sunday school classes, we all heard that it was a little boy. But the only place it says it was a little boy is in John. And this is just my personal opinion. There's no, like, biblical, like, proof of this at all. But the deal is, is that John was a young boy during all of this situation. Right. <laughs> so I just think, like, the reason John records that they took it from a little boy was it was probably his lunch. And they're like, they're like, give me that, like, yank. They just take his lunch, and, and they're, we're going to feed everybody with this kid's lunch. 
it's amazing because it says he has five loaves and two fishes, which really, we think like big loaves. They're not, it's not talking about a big loaf. It's talking about like little balls, little ball of bread. Not, there's not a lot there. And fishes, and, and here's a fish. They, they call them, uh, them St. Peter's fish is what they call them. It's really a clever marketing strategy to get all of the tourists to eat the fish. It's really tilapia is what it is. And if you're, I'm from Alaska, and so, like, if it's not red salmon, I'm not eating it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this may look good. It may look like you could just, like, bite, come on. It looks like you could just, like, bite into that eyeball and have all this amazing just flavor burst into your mouth. But it's tilapia, people. It's not the, <clears throat> tilapia is the, the bologna of fish meat. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you go to the store, it says tilapia. What that means is we don't know what it is. But it's fish. And so they have this guy. He's got a little bit of bread, and he's got a little bit of bologna fish. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's what he's, he's got bologna fish sandwich. And, and they're like, hey, <laughs> Jesus, we got the bologna fish sandwich, kid. We're going to take his lunch. Go ahead. Feed the 5,000 with that. H- how many times in our life do we, we feel like we, we don't have enough to change we don't have enough to affect change. We don't have what it, ha- what it takes to really accomplish what God has placed in our heart because all we got is bologna fish sandwich. God, you, you, you want to use my marriage to be a, a shining light to other marriages, but all I got is a bologna fish sandwich marriage. God, you, you want to you use me to be able to help people that have gone through trauma, but all I've got is bologna fish sandwich trauma in my life. What we see is the lack. We, we see the, the inability. That's what we often bring to Jesus is, is what is missing rather than the significance of the gift itself. Think about it like this. There was 5,000 people there, excluding women and children. And the one person who brought anything for Jesus to work with was a child. Which means the one person that had any effect on the event was someone who didn't even count when they counted everybody. I'm saying God can use you even if you feel like you don't count. Even if you feel like you're overlooked, like not seen, and if you're the one that gets skipped over, you can still be the one that God uses to make a difference in your family history, in your world, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Like, you don't have to be the one with everything together. All you've got to be is the one who has the bologna fish sandwich. And this little, little amount, it doesn't, doesn't mean like insignificant. It doesn't mean that what this child brought was inadequate. It could just be that your life experience is exactly what God wants to leverage to change someone else's life. It could just be that the situations you've been through in life are the very thing God wants to multiply to show his grace in someone else's life. I mean, this kid, no doubt his mom, she was packing his lunch, had no idea that she was packing a miracle. 
And how many times we'll, we'll be driving down the road and you get a phone call from somebody and you just give them a word of encouragement and not realizing that that one word of encouragement may just be a miracle in the making. That one time of just sharing with somebody some struggle that you've been through in life where God came through for you, it may be that you sharing your struggle is the very thing God wants to use. So don't hold your inadequacy. Don't fold your arms towards God. Like, God, not until you do what I tell you to do will I allow you to leverage my life. No, whatever you want out of my life, God, as insignificant as it looks, it's yours. God, you can't use me. I got hurt by the church too much. You can't use me. God, you can't use me. I struggle with depression too often. You can't use me. God, you can't use me. I don't have enough finances. God, you can't use me. I don't have enough smart things to tell people. I always feel like I don't have the right words. And I want you to know you serve the God of more than enough. Even when you don't have answers, even when you don't have resources, even when you don't have the solutions to the situation, he is the God of more than enough. So maybe all you have is a smile. Maybe all you have is just an encouraging word. He can use that to bless the world around you. He can use it. Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, have the people sit down. What's interesting is in the other accounts in the Gospels, he doesn't just have them sit down. He has them sit down, and then he orders them in groups of 10, 20, and 50. He, he has them sit down in an organized fashion. Now there was much grass in the place. I think John includes that there's a lot of grass because he's a kid, right? So he's like, <laughs> there's grass. It's amazing. And so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. The disciples said it would take eight months' wages for everybody to just get a taste. But when Jesus distributes this, he makes sure everyone has all that they need. I'm sure it was in this kind of a moment where people could have been offended easily. What I mean is Jesus sorts the crowd out by tens, by twenties, by fifties. And then, John doesn't include this, but the other gospels include that Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it to the disciples. And the disciples begin distributing the bread. And as they're distributing the bread, the miracle is actually taking place in their hands. And they're like, oh, like, oh this, is this is amazing. It's, but I'm sure there's somebody in the crowd that's like, I ain't having no fish unless Jesus puts it in my mouth himself. <laughs> Jesus, too, too big for us. He's too good for us. He's got to have somebody else give me the fish. That's how we get, don't we? And, and maybe it's not about Jesus. We get that way about the pastor. Like, we think the pastor is somebody super special that, like, if I don't get a handshake from the pastor, I don't get a handshake from the pastor. I'm offended now. Well, number one, then you haven't noticed that I'm out there waiting for your handshake every single week. Like, that's, that's on you. 
But like, we think, like, if, if it doesn't come from Jesus, it doesn't count. And, but understand, this is the first time Jesus does a miracle with a large group of people. And the way he does it is through order and through his de- delegated authority. As things grow in the kingdom of God, God organizes things. And as it grows in the kingdom of God, he allows his power to flow through people. Like, we could get way off base if we were one of the disciples passing out the bread and we're like, man, this thing's amazing. Look at this miracle happening in my hands. I'm amazing. It's my gift of teaching that is bringing this amazing miracle from heaven. It's like, no, it's not your gift of teaching. It's the providence of God. It's the mercy of God in this situation. You are just fortunate enough to be in the position at the time. I'm just saying, like, we don't, don't let this stuff go to your head. Don't think I'm some incredible person because God has worked through me. Instead, this is a blessed moment. Don't take it for granted. It says he blesses it and breaks it. Until we bless the areas of our life that we see as inadequate, God's not going to be able to multiply it. Let me say it like this. We often curse the very things that God would bless. My, my stupid house, like I just hate this house. Like this is not, I, I can't stand this house. This is just a terrible house. Not, I wish I lived in a better place. And that's fine. But the truth is, there's something that happens when you shift from what I have isn't good enough to this may not be my forever home, but I'm very thankful for what God has provided me with. This may not be all that I want it to be, but I am thankful for what God is doing. In the, and I'm telling you, it's that kind of a thing that God can bless. Like, like I just can't, like my marriage, my, my husband, you know, like I'll just... Curse, curse, curse. But if you would stop and say, you know what? My husband's amazing. Like, he's an incredible, he has such a consistent, he's such a consistent man. Like, consistently an alcoholic, but he's consistent. (laughs) And when we bless, God begins to move. Don't curse what's lacking in your life. Bless what's lacking in your life. What's amazing in this moment is that as the band would come, after they've passed out the bread and they've passed out the fish, that at this point, I just want to stop for a second to say this. I just feel to say this. The book of John is reminding us not to chase miracles or the amazing excitement of the things of God. Our American church culture tells us we've got to chase the revival. We've got to chase the best preacher. We've got to chase the most current music. And if it doesn't stir up some sort of an emotional response in me, God must not be there. How dare we The book of John is saying this, that the works of God are to point us to the one behind the miracle, not to the miracle. Let me say it like this. 
He wrote the book. Like, we look for orators and people to kind of make us feel amazing. I'm talking about a written book. Can life get more boring than a book? My daughter would say no. I'm saying the power of God is bigger than chasing revivals. The power of God is deeper than chasing the most current music. I don't know who that was for, but I just felt like stopping there for a second. Because then what he says is this. He tells the disciples, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Because here's where the miracle actually begins. We thought the miracle was the amazing food being produced. But it actually begins right here. Because it's in this moment that Jesus says, they've, they've eaten to their fill. Now pick up the crumbs. Because there's a lot more than what they needed. I, I don't think Jesus tells them to pick up the crumbs because he's like, now this is a biblical principle of being frugal. Thou shaltest be frugal with thine meal. That's not what he's saying. He's just demonstrated that he is the God who can produce more than enough. He, he's, he's demonstrated he can make something from nothing. He can take a piece of barley and feed 5,000 people. He doesn't need leftovers. He's not saying put this in the fridge. I mean, think about it. Fish eaten by hand. Not the most appetizing leftovers. He says, pick it up. And there's 12 baskets, every single disciple, 12 baskets. He's not just the God who is adequate. He's not just the God who can meet your need. He's the God of more than enough. In the Old Testament, we call him El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. He's saying, when, when you need me, I, I won't just supply your need. So you're going to look back over your life. You can see fragments. You didn't even realize, but I was there the whole time. I was blessing the whole time. You noticed the event. There's so much more than the event. Let's stop chasing Asking God, <laughs> excuse me, asking God to simply perform a miracle when He is the God of more than enough. You know what's, what's amazing about this passage is Jesus feeds the 5,000, then He feeds 4,000, and then His disciples come to Him after this and they say, Jesus, we have no food. Where will we find food? 
It says they had forgotten. Jesus wants you to keep the scraps to remember that he's got more than enough. Don't walk away from the blessings of God and think, well, he's, he's already, he's done. He's used up every, every last trick in the bag. No. He's the God of more than enough. Would you stand with me across the room? Maybe you came in today feeling inadequate. You serve the God of more than enough. Maybe you came in today wondering if there was enough blessing from the Lord to be able to deal with your circumstance. The answer is yes. He's the God of more than enough. But Pastor, you don't know the pain and the trauma I've been through in my life. I've had a real life. I want to say, you serve a real God who is really more than enough. And maybe for you, you came in and you're like, I actually didn't come here for beautiful music. I didn't come here for cute preaching. I came because I need a touch from heaven. I need to encounter the God of more than enough. Maybe for you, it's a physical need. You have a physical need in your body, and you're like, I need a touch from heaven. Maybe for you, it's, maybe it's just a financial situation, or maybe for you, it's, it's a relationship or it's an emotion, and you need the God of more than enough. If that's you, would you just put your hand up so I can see you? Come on. We're going to do something that's just a little different than you may be used to. And it's this, we're going to pray. It's not weird for a church to pray. It's what a church should do. I'm going to say, if you came today and you're looking for more, you're looking for the God of more than enough, I'm going to ask you to attach a physical step to your faith step. Internally, your faith is saying, I, I know he can do it. I'm asking you to step out of your seat, maybe into the aisle or come down to the front. I just believe in a church that can pray. And I believe in a heaven that hears. And if you came to encounter God today, step out of your seat, into the aisle, come to the front. Just put a physical step with your faith. There we go. I got some bold people. That's bold. That's good. Whatever's comfortable, just, just take a physical step. Say, God, I, I'm, I'm stepping out towards you right now. I'm going to say this. If you're in the house today and you just feel led to pray with some of these, I, I would encourage you to come join somebody in prayer right now. Come join them right now. Church should be a place that prays, I think. Why don't you lift that thing to the Lord right now? Lord Jesus, you are the author and you are the finisher of our faith. You are the first and you are the last. You are 
You are the source of all things. All things were made by you and through you. And without you, nothing was made that was made. So right now, I pray that you'd show yourself to be the God of more than enough. Your word says that by your stripes we are healed. So physical body be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Let your healing virtue flow in this room. Lord, I pray right now that you would restore relationships that that are stretched beyond repair. God, that you would mend broken hearts in this place right now. That your virtue would flow. That your power would be made known. Because you are the God of more than enough. every other name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Maybe with everybody just keeping this posture where you're at right now, your heart, I would say this. The greatest miracle that God does is He makes people right with Him. He saves them that's you today. You need to get right with the Lord. Would you just put your hand up? Come on, nice and high. I, come on, see some bold hands. I love bold hands. Come on, you guys. You're in a room full of people that support your hand. You're in a room full of people that have experienced the freedom that is in Christ. Here's how you're going to get right with Him. It's very simple. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, and say that don't please God. And we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, the blood of the Son cleanses us from all sin. And he brings us into a conversation or a relationship with God. So join me. If you just put your hand up, all those bold hands, pray something like this. Listen, something like this. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning from them right now. Would you forgive me? I want to be right with you. I believe that Jesus Christ died was buried and he rose again on the third day and right now I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in him alone say these words Jesus be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live come on church there's some people that just made the biggest decision of their life people to put a stake in the ground. So people moving forward towards the God is the God of more than enough. Why don't you worship with me? Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. 
If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.